and welcome to Theatre Feuds by Relish Theatre. Three contestants tackle a variety of theatrical topics, arguing their way to becoming the ultimate Theatre Feuds champion. This week we have Izzy Dawes, Millie Rollet and Ollie Partington. They're letting you know who and what should be winning all the Olivier Awards, if Winston Churchill had his own cabaret act who should play him, and for the first time our fighters are going into a round unprepared. Enjoy the show. First of all, yes, I do have some form of cold, but also my wisdom tooth is causing me absolute hell. Hello, and welcome to Theatre Feuds, the podcast from Relish Theatre. I'm Rob Ellis. I'm feeling not too great, but we'll battle our way through it for the sake of these lovely people in front of me. Um, So apologies from any interruptions from me. First of all, we're less than a week away from Theatre Feuds Live. Yes, this terrifically exciting show, uh, which we're still surprised we're doing, that we told you so much about last week, we're going to continue with this week. First of all, when is it? Anyone? March Monday. 21st. Yeah, thank you very much. 21st of March. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it is Monday. It's going to be Monday, yeah. Uh, 21st of March, 7.45pm. Uh, Theatre 503. Tickets are £10 uh, and £8 for concessions. But all proceeds go to the Cumbria Community Foundation and their flood crisis appeal, getting people back into their homes following uh, the devastation in the Lake District in December. Um, so the more of you who turn up, the more money we raise for charity. It's as simple as that. The show is going to be exactly the same, uh, just about. Um, but because we're so kind, we've got you some special people. So big deep breath appearing on Theatre Feuds Live are playwright John Britton, new diorama theatre artistic director David Byrne, assistant director at Soho Theatre, and she was associate director at the Almeida on shows such as Medea and King Charles III. That's Sarah Joyce, a late night gimp fight Fighter, I guess. Uh, that's Lee Griffiths. Um, our guy and graphic designer at the Soho Theatre, Pencil Bandit himself, and now Theatre Feud's Nicholas Cage special champion, Elliot Rocco Trenouth. <laughs> and joining them, well, we put together a team of our best and brightest from the podcast headlined by the one and only John Cobb. Yet to lose a match, our John is. Uh, he is being joined by the awesome Jamie Monk, also a previous champion, and star of CBBC's Class Dismissed, which was just the funniest thing I ever saw. And from a couple of weeks ago, Natalie Lester, who you might remember gave us such beauties as the uh, Wizard of Oz sequel, Somewhere Over the Flying Monkeys. And when asked who should take over from Gemma Arterton in Nell Gwyn, she said, herself. And that's it. Nine mighty fighters, one host, that's me. No, wait, there's going to be two hosts. Who's joining me? Well, that would be the one and only mighty, mighty Ollie Partington. Hello. I'm not very mighty. You are, isn't this exciting? Can't you hear telling my voice how excited I am? This is going to be thrilling. Are you, uh, but you are excited that we're oh, yes, do, of course, yeah, incredibly. I'm just so doing this for fun. comedic effect. Uh, it's, <laughs> really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, um, I, I I really honestly can't wait, but also I'm really glad that you're going to be there as well with me and that you can do this along with me uh, and you're going to be doing some really awesome stuff. uh, Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's sort of the closer we get to planning it, it seems more and more sort of funny, bigger, theatrical version of a a podcast, which is a bit of a... Yeah, sort of funny that cost me really, but it's uh, it's going to be really weird and very funny. I think very interesting. Twenty first of March, thirty five o three, seven forty five p.m. As audience members, I will say you will be involved. Uh, you will be judging each round, just like I do on the show. Uh, you're going to be writing questions for the speed round, uh, and you're going to be changing things on stage. It's going to be so much fun. I promise you. Book your tickets whilst you still can. Um, 
let's get on with today, shall we? So, Ollie, thank you very much uh, for being here today. Uh, Going to be joining us. Uh, you were in the very first episode of Theatre Feuds. I was. Uh, when you, you were. Um, do you know who else was? Well, it's only Chicken Shed's Millie Rolley. <laughs> Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you for coming back. Yeah, I'm really happy to be it's here. It's been, what, six months since you last did the show? Really? Oh. Yeah, I think we did it in October. and Yeah, that's a long time ago. That's a long time now. It's March. And yeah, so it's nice to have you back after all this yeah, time. Yeah, nice so to be So what's back. new? Well, uh, you're, so you're doing, um, you wrote a piece for West Avenue Briefs uh, in January, yeah. I believe. Uh, and we had Sean on a couple of weeks back, so we have to say we have to plug briefs and say briefs is a big deal. Yeah, um, it, is. it really is. But you're coming back. You're yes, I'm going back. So I pulled my own piece of writing last time, but I'm going back again on the sixth of April to be in Martha Geelan's piece, Potato Salad. Potato That's what it's salad. called. Delicious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know, just getting on with graduate life. Really. <laughs> but also, we have to say are. something very exciting happened today. So what's new at Chicken Shed? Oh, I'm <laughs> going into a part-time admin job, which means I can. <laughs> Which means I can quit my waitressing job. Yeah. This is called living the dream <laughs> when you start getting paid for artistic work. So well done, Millie. You're probably doing the best out of your year so far. <laughs> um, so we've got Ollie, we've got Millie, and finally, a newbie. Uh, someone who, well, I am deeply thrilled to have her here. She is such a terrific actor. She's played some wonderful roles in her time. She's just got back from Italy, where she's been touring Pride and Prejudice for the past five months. And she enjoys doing that because she also did something similar with Quite Right Theatre a couple of years ago. Yes, um, as a director, I feel very lucky uh, t- today to be joined by three people who, out of the many I've worked with before, I can firmly say that they are definitely up there with the best of them. She's no exception. No. It's Izzy Dawes. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome back to England. Thank you very much. Thank you for doing the show. Of course. Um, how, how was Italy? Tell me. Go on. Um, uh, it was hard work. It was intense. Um, it turned out to be Pride and Prejudice, the panto. <laughs> oh, right. No okay. one really knew that. <laughs> and that, that was what it was going to be. The, uh, the uh, director left after a couple of weeks and then oh. we made it what it should be, which is Pride and Prejudice, the, the only show. A mutiny. <laughs> yeah, Goodness exactly. <laughs> wow, okay, fair. Yeah. And you were a Bennett? I was. I was Lizzie. Lizzie oh, Bennett? You know, indeed. The, the, Lily James and uh, Kara Knightley. And As I said, the only show that matters. <laughs> <laughs> only Pride, Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. only Lizzie Bennett. Did well, you have Colin Firth? Did not sadly no. No. I did have a, a large strapping man, but not not Colin. Not quite. Well, <laughs> well you but win some, you lose some, so You do, well, you do. Welcome back. And Thanks, thank you so babe. much for doing the show. It's of so course. thrilling. Um Thrilling, yes. Thrilling is, is the word <laughs> for the show. Um five rounds. You've all picked an answer for the questions you were given. Uh but one of them you haven't. Ooh, more on that later. Um, remember, I am marking you based on your argument, not your answer. So facts, creativity, persuasiveness, passion, bribery, you know, they're all good. Um, after five rounds, he or she with the least amount of points is out. Two are going to go on to the speed round. Shall we get started? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Let the feud begin. Your week in theatre news. One of the cool things about the, the live show um, is we're going to be taking rounds such as Week in Theatre News and expanding the idea. So Ollie and I, we have some cool ideas planned for Week in Theatre News. Um, so, okay, enough plugging. Week in Theatre News. Well, 
What a great round this would have been last week. But clearly, we're not masters of scheduling masters of scheduling here. So what happens? You know we love London Theatre. You know we love award shows. Olivier Award nominations come out, and we can't talk about them because I've scheduled a bloody Nicolas Cage special. Well done. <laughs> great work all round. Um, so now it's two weeks later. So week in, two weeks ago, theatre news. Um, the nominations are out. What do we think? Good? Good all round, I think. I think I'm going to assume. Yeah. Clearly, you've all been reading what they are. You know, I can afford to see all the Olivier plays. This is true. This is true. Um, I think the Savoy had a very good innings because it had both Gypsy and Guys and Dolls. Yeah. Very, very well. Yeah. Um, so well done, Savoy. Uh, but also great to see things like Showstoppers, um, yeah. which yeah. I was I was thrilled about. Um, we were having an Olivier Award themed question for the live show. Um, so consider this a warm-up and not-so-subtle plug. What's the best nomination? Or rather, with the Olivier Awards 2016 nominations out, which is the most deserving nomination? We're starting with Izzy Dawes. <laughs> I'm going to go for the Queen Bee, Melinda Staunton, Gypsy. Mm-hmm. I know she's probably the one that most people are going to go for, but I think that's because she smashed it and she's an absolute babe. Um, she is the pinnacle of what, like... Dance Moms is mm-hmm. that awesome TV program. Mm-hmm. And you think, you know, I'm not going to like this woman. She's <laughs> pushy, but she's perfect. And now so many like intricacies of that character that she absolutely smashes. I just think she was a dream. She restored my faith in musical theatre. Mm. I did, I, you know, I love it. Mm. But I hadn't seen a good one in a while. And I watched it when I was in Italy on iPlayer. And I, sh- I cried. Oh. I mean, I cried. Mm. She's brilliant. She's and her voice is top-notch and her acting even more so. So they've got Imelda Staunton um, for Best Actress in a Musical, Yes, I believe. Yes. Um, some stiff competition, but uh, surely a very deserving nomination. Millie Rolle, what have you got to combat to that? <laughs> uh, in the Heights, Best Choreography. Very good. So this show, it was on at the King's Cross Theatre. It's in the Traverse. It felt like you were in a club. It was really cool. Uh, Obviously, that's partially to do with the design as well. But the dancers were phenomenal and they were constantly focused as well. And they were on stage a lot of the time and they made the whole piece flow really well. And um, I just think it's probably an underrated musical because it's not like in the West End, but it's such a great tight. It's one of those things as well. You you think it's going to be really cheesy and it could come across as this really cheesy and they they pull it off so well. Um, They were all incredibly skilled dancers. It was uh, incorporating a lot of salsa and it just made it made everyone in the audience want to get up and dance. In fact, I saw most people in the audience having a little dance along with it. Um, so it was just yeah, for that reason. And I just think it's a really, really beautiful piece. And um, Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> so we've got uh, Imelda Staunton. We've got In the Heights, the best choreography. And Ollie Partington, what have we got? Um, I've spoken about this play on the podcast before. It was uh, a play that was on late last year and recently got a revival. It's The Father. Um, in a translation by Christopher Hampton, which starred Kenneth Cranham. And uh, my feeling for most deserving nomination is Kenneth Cranham for Best Actor, because we always, uh, when you learn acting and all that stuff, you learn of things like inner life and intricacies of character and subtleties and subtext, and we all get a bit bored of them. And I've never seen them portrayed so honestly and with as much panache, I suppose, as Kenneth Cranham in The Father, because the whole play... Uh, he's a dementia-suffering older man who is a father of a daughter who looks after him. And 
every single scene, the actors around him change, the scenery changes, the flats he's in changes, but we see it all from his perspective. So he's playing one character through time when everything else is out of sync with him. And so we see it fully from his perspective, and you never lose track of this due to his performance. It's a tricksy gimmick which might not work, but because he is the focal point, he travels you through this space. And you never see him as suffering from dementia, but how a dementia sufferer sees it as the outside world being incorrect. It's just phenomenal. Okay, fab. Uh, Imelda Staunton, In the Heights, Kenneth Cranham. Um, all great, I would say. All really, yeah. all yeah. deserving. <laughs> but who's the most deserving? So let's start. Why, so why Gypsy? Why Melda Staunton and Gypsy over the other two? Well, one thing I have to say is she did the, she read out the nominations with, who was it? Michael Ball. Michael Ball, mm. yeah. And as a woman who has done so much, well, uh, so, so, so many amazing things, I think she was the epitome of humility and sincerity. I think she is a fantastic actress and this part is difficult, it's really difficult, and she absolutely nailed it. Her accent was fantastic, her singing was on point, and when she found out that she got a nomination for it, she couldn't have been more genuine, and more humble, and I really think that that is a testament to the whole show. The show's fantastic, but she, for me, just encapsulates what a star is. She's a living legend, sure. Goa Milda. So why not, why not Gypsy then? It's an interesting thing talking about the journey of the actor as much as their performance as the character. It's an interesting thing to think about and it's worth mentioning, certainly. We all think of the journey and the story and the narrative of the actor deserving the award as much as the character. And I'd say Kenneth Cranham's this very interesting actor. He's probably in his late 60s, I'd say, and he spent most of his career in obscurity playing Cockney gangsters and never phoning it in. He always gave great performances, but I'd say it's wonderful, absolutely fantastic to see this actor finally inhabit a role where he can really unleash and go proper, look at me, I'm an actor. And I think that deserves heaps of praise. Mayla Stoughton will win awards and has won awards and absolutely phenomenal actress. I don't think any of us can deny that. But I'd say as far as the actors deserving an award, I I prefer his narrative, I suppose. Sure. Uh, let's not leave in the heights out of this. Mm. So why why because you've actually you've not picked an acting award. So why why the why the choreography over two acting performances? So I think that this is a piece that wasn't in the West End, and I think that's nice to notice um, theatre in other areas of London and a great use of that space. They could have gone for somewhere they could have gone for a more commercial theatre, but they chose somewhere that was more intimate. And I think choreography is something that cannot go unnoticed and in, in any production as well and it this musical as i said is a very seamless production as a result of the choreography and the focus of the cast and the ensemble and it really it's a celebration of the ensemble and not just individuals and i think that's something to be celebrated in the olivier awards and um i think as a result of this production uh, happening it's going to become more of a more of a success in the future as well it'll probably end up getting a transfer we're being very nice, I will say. Yeah. Go, go, be, be mean, be rude. Why, why, why not the current? If you insist. I, well, I no, just no, think, no. I honestly think, I get what Millie, I get what you're saying, babes. But, <laughs> no, oh God, I didn't mean to sound condescending at all. What, what I think is, Gypsy was a huge production on like a, a really famous stage, but it delivered in every single way. And I don't think that you can ignore that. I think that you have to take into account what she did as an actor and what her character is. They're, they're kind of inseparable in that, in that way, especially because if you watch her performance, she is no one else in that, in that moment. She's done so many brilliant things. 
but she it, it felt to me like she'd lived that life and I was on her side and just her voice is just incredible and go older women for mm. like mm. powerful mm. older actors <laughs> <laughs> that went political um, I'd say uh, again against the choreography um, I'd say that the real skill the real skill of any technical department any technical nomination is it's always a bit of a double-edged sword because the best technical achievements are when you don't notice them when you don't know they're happening and for me choreography does fall rather into that it's when they're sort of so built in that you, it wouldn't even occur to you to congratulate the choreography and I always feel that's the case so with sort of a big club yeah so if it thing, doesn't occur um, to you then that it deserves to get the recognition so but it did occur to you well, what you're saying, what you're saying is that choreography is just there. Oh no, certainly. What I'd say is that it's it works best when it's so intrigate, in intrigated. Is that the word? In, in that's it. it. But that's what I'm saying. It was. Yeah. I'm saying it was because it was constant throughout the entire the, show. The clubbing, so it's the choreography of the whole show. It's not it. just dancing. The the way that the <laughs> I think choreography consists of the way the actors move from scene to scene, the way mm -hmm. the set moves. So that's like and the and so the would actors, blocking fall into choreography. Yeah, everything mm. falls into it. The, that that in entire show within a scene. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Um, I think also this is a really good celebration of a different of a small community in New York. It's a it's a you've got it's Latina um, and all that kind of I like I like the fact that there's a musical out there that isn't like essentially your guys and dolls. There's a lot of a similar kind of choreography with all those kind of things. There's a very specific um, culture that's being celebrated, whereas this is different. And as a result, you see the skill of these particular dancers who come from a different culture. And I think that that's why the choreography is so brilliant and that's why it needs to be celebrated. If well, we're going to get political. <laughs> well, I suppose then my vote then isn't um, uh, for just an actor. It's for naturalistic, non-musical, non-dance theatre. Indulge for a second in the music and watch the acting through the music. I honestly think that there's nothing more powerful than that, especially with a live orchestra. The like, It's, it's just an incredible sensory experience that sometimes theatre falls a bit short on. And I think that Imelda Staunton, every single song that she sings she has encapsulated that like 100%. But I'd say is without song and without dance, Kenneth Cranham was able to captivate me. We'll call time on that one. Moving the mic. Um, well, you didn't make it easy because I think that one was, I think actually you, what I liked about it is that you all said they were good. You all gave specific reasons why it was deserving, which I, I think. And I think in many ways what it came down to was who gave the more compelling deserving arguments and uh i think there were some and i think one person had less comebacks given to them over why they said their, their piece was deserving i think we said kenneth cranham because he's played uh many characters before of a certain type you're saying so it's, it's it's a different role for him same with gypsy but it it was millie at the end of the day it was the in the heights choreography because we had kings of theater we had the dancing we've not seen before. And also the thing I liked that you picked up on was that these two are quite subjective nominations. Yours is very objective. You can see very much that something is good on the stage. And you argued that very well. So the first point goes to Miss Millie Rolley. Again, once again, I'm completely amazed. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Well done. Um, it's always the thing with this. We're just like, I don't want to argue against that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, everyone. Well done. Feud of the Week.
Oh, what shall we talk about? I know, how about our live show? Um, so this is more <laughs> of an experiment than anything. Um, it's very exciting. In Theatre Feuds Live, we're going to be trialling these rounds called Blind Feuds, uh, which means the teams will get the question there and then. They'll have minimal preparation time, well, no preparation time, really, um, and have to come up with a fully formed argument on the spot. Think of it as a longer version of the speed round, but instead of shouting uh, out your answer, you're going to get a bit more time to quickly think on the spot. Um, so, in question order, we're going to start with Millie, we're going to go through Ollie, and then to Izzy. It's a Shakespeare question. You're going to give your answer, and then jump in straight away with an argument you're going to be making up on the spot. Your question and your first blind feud on Theatre Feuds. Best death scene in a Shakespeare play. Um, Hamlet. Hamlet's death. Okay, Ollie. Mercutio's death from Romeo and Juliet. You. I, I think I'm going to go Macbeth. <laughs> okay, Macbeth. So all I tragedies. Now he dies. <laughs> Have you? A Macduff. I've not seen him it out. on in, uh, So Hamlet. Off you go. Why? Why is it the best death scene? It's the best death scene because from the beginning of the play, we've got obviously we've got this sense that something. Something that is going to, well, we all get a sense in a tragedy, something bad's going to happen. But it's nice because at the beginning, he is um, so obsessed with his own father's death. By the end of the play, you've seen him expose himself. He's completely vulnerable. And he, and, and he thinks so long and hard about death and the tragedy of it. And then all of a sudden, it's happened and it's over. And, the, and it's kind of futile in a way. So I quite like that, that that's that contrast. Okay, cool. Um, Mercutio certainly isn't <laughs> the insignificant death. Oh, no, it's the most interesting and the only the only interesting element of Romeo and Juliet for me, I'm afraid. Um, uh, yeah, Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet is it's an interesting character and, as I say, the most interesting character in the entire play because there's ongoing war between the Montagues and Capulets. He is the lone agent. He's just a friend of Romeo and he is this sort of very interesting, captivating, charismatic figure, but he's not involved in the fight. And then finally, when he's drawn into it, it's his death. And it really puts into perspective this entire fight because nobody's died from this fight yet, this ongoing battle that we know, that we appreciate. And when somebody does, and it's somebody who isn't really even involved, it's a tragic loss to the play, really, because he is the most interesting and funny character. And then when he starts to die, when he gets stabbed initially by Tybalt, uh, when Romeo tries to break it up, break it up, he uh, he starts off with his humour, his trademark humour. Um, you shall find me a grave man and all that. He's making his puns. And then finally, as he realises how gravely injured he is, he says, enough of this. You're both children. A plague on both your houses. You both deserve hell for this because there's no, there's no reason why I should be dead right now and you're all still alive. I could watch that scene, every version of it, all day. It will never fail to enthrall me and captivate me and provide an interesting and vital comment on the play as a whole. You started whacking out the quotes then. Is he went? <laughs> oh yeah, I saw that you were like yeah. calling down oh, thunder. Oh, and... <laughs> it's because it's such you, a brilliant scene. No, yeah, no, so uh, Hamlet, oh, yeah. Mercutio, why Macbeth? I'm gonna go with Macbeth because he is one of the characters. It's, it's one of the most well-known plays, and I feel 100% that his death is untimely and one of the most tragic. That that play is filled with a lot of horrible deaths, yeah. but. I love Macbeth, beginning, middle and end, and I am always, always with him. I think his death is such a good thing and such a bad thing, and you feel both of that, both of those. He, it's right that he dies because, you know, he's made some unwise choices, I'll admit. <laughs> <laughs> but 
you have to see where he has gone where he's come from and where and where he's ended up his death is tragic it's so upset he's gone through so much loss in his life his child his wife uh, the killing of a king that he never meant to do he's just taken over by other forces and it's just such a loss of uh, intelligent brave human and i don't think there's really any other deaths in shakespeare that have that element so uh all three very good arguments i believe so why not why let's start with hamlet why why is hamlet's not as good as mercutio's and macbeth's because he deserves it who hamlet deserves it yeah i I think if we're looking at a a death needs to be tragic a death needs to make you really feel something and i think hamlet that's his arc. His arc ends in death, and it was always going to end in death. And it's what he's seeking throughout the play. So when he dies, you're like, well, this is the natural progression for this character. When Mercutio yeah, dies, agree, it comes out of left field. You're not expecting <clears> it because he's not involved, and it's a shocking, stunning, visceral death. Whereas Hamlet's is quite poetic. And I think poetry's lovely, but I want to see some bloodshed. I think that, yeah, yeah, a death scene, if you're going for the thrills, that's fine. But, Ooh, uh, out I of left field, she hits a you, left You've got to, like, a, the po- what you pointed out being about being poetic, I think that's a really important part of, well, Shakespeare, because, you know, Shakespeare's poetry, dunno. And I think that the fact that his death is so inevitable doesn't make it less tragic and less poignant. I mean, I, I agree with Ollie in terms of what he said about Hamlet. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. wraps up the play nicely. Mm-hmm. It, I agree with everything Millie said, but it, for me, it doesn't have that same like inner connection. I, I even have it more so with Mercutio. His death doesn't aid in the same way to the whole of the plot of Romeo and Juliet as, well, it does and it doesn't. There is so much fighting, and so I think it's a great death, but I don't think that it has the same weight as Macbeth's does. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point, and I I certainly agree that Macbeth's death pulls at the heartstrings. Uh, but what I would say is it's also his comeuppance. And Mercutio, although he does fight with Tybalt, he is drawn into a fight with Tybalt, and he did not come there meaning to fight that day. I can't argue against for against the tragic end of Macbeth. It sells the entire play. It is fantastic, but uh, he dies with a sword with a sword in his hand, kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. he dies in a fight, a fight that he came to knowingly and willingly whereas I don't think Mercutio did not knowingly he didn't know he didn't know at all that this was going to be his end and I think that's what's most tragic oh not his end certainly but he came to the fight knowing of the knowing that he's going to a fight in terms of well yeah mostly that someone turns up at his door with a knife (laughs) there's a war war going on and and he is treats and he's a man about it he's still brave even though everything's gone to pot <laughs> i think we see it coming with all of these plays i think I, I i don't really think that it's it's as shock it's not so shocking as you think it is with with um either of your characters either i i just think that that death is like as a concept is something that should be explored poetically and that's why hamlet does it the best i'll, I'll tell you what that was great i was, I was surprised how well, how well you all picked up and thought that really well i genuinely can't decide um i think i think i was waiting waiting to hear something about macbeth's death about how it's about the prediction you know no man born of woman can kill me and and that just adds to the whole yes it does but that's what i was waiting to hear and but to be fair no one else brought it up either but like i I didn't quite get i didn't quite get that that didn't come out clear enough i don't think um i gotta go down between mercutio and hamlet so which was argued better 
again, I think I was missing something from Mercutio's death. Because not once did you mention Romeo, I don't think. It's because he's the most lifeless character in the whole but like, <laughs> but But the impact it actually has on our main character is huge. And we didn't hear, I didn't hear anything about it. Whereas Hamlet, you can't argue that it's this big, slow build. And I wasn't expecting that. And I really, that's something I've never, to be honest, I've never thought of that at all about Hamlet. You're welcome. Millie goes in with two points. What was this? I'm going to lose, she says. (laughs) Two points in the lead. Well done, Millie. Um, Congratulations, Millie. Yeah, well done. Well done. Okay, so I'd just like to apologise for what you're about to hear. So, yeah, the show takes a lot of work. Sometimes things pass you by, like, I need to re-record the jingle. Like a tune? Oh! (laughs) Playwright of the Week is back. It's changed. No more will our contestants be given a play to choose from, but they're going to bring their own over a specific topic I choose for them. Uh, The playwright with the best dialogue, perhaps, or the playwright with the best first play. Um, And to kick us all off, let's have a bit of a laugh. Who is the best playwright to tackle comedy? And we're going to start with Ollie Partington. Uh, I chose this last night simply on the basis of when I first brought up the playwright Bruce Norris to you, a yep. writer of Clybourne Park. You did. You said these exact words. Oh, racial tensions in suburban America, how funny. And I go, wait, 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 wait. Comedy doesn't have to tackle drama? There's nothing but drama in comedy. There's nothing but tragedy. And when you look at Clybourne Park, you see tragedy spanning 50 years, and my God, it's hysterical. But um, with Clybourne Park, it's... Uh, the, you know the concept of the brick joke? The joke that span, that starts somewhere, and then you forget about it, then 25 minutes later, 30 minutes later, there's a reference back to that joke, a callback joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clybourne Park, because of its manner of being split over 50 years or so of time, the yeah. first act takes place in one house in the 1950s and play shoots forward 50 years to uh, the same neighbourhood where it has now been... Uh, uh, it's now sort of a black neighborhood. Oh my God. And, there's, and certain characters are, re- they're all played by the same actors in both acts. Martin Freeman uh, is a particular standout. He has to tell a joke to, to, uh, to these black people in the second act that's a racist joke that he heard at work and he told to his wife and she says, oh, go on, tell the joke. And he goes, um, well, my black friend told me this joke. <laughs> and throughout this page and a half long monologue of him trying to tell this joke without seeming racist, I was on the floor bawling with laughter. Uh, I haven't had that in a theatre ever sure. before. So we're talking about comedy playwrights. Bruce Norris and Clybourne Park knocks it out of the park. It's fantastic. Ooh, very well. That was a good, that was a good lovely little last I mean, line. Thank mic drop lines for ten minutes. Um, uh, Izzy, what have you got to combat Clybourne Park and Bruce Norris? So I went with my gut in the end. I started thinking about modern plays and that were funny. And then I thought, no, stick with what you know, and mm. I'm going to go for Alan Aitborn. Mm. I'm going to talk about his genius in the writing as opposed to the boom boom jokes. He is a genius at writing farces, I think. Farces are difficult to get right. His um, A Bedroom Farce is mm. a genius play. It's two old, an older couple and a younger couple. 
And I went to see it at the National, I think. And I went in in a half because I didn't want to see it. <laughs> didn't think farces were funny. And I was hooked. He has this ability to... He gets you hooked within like maybe the first five, ten minutes. And then you have this like general like tension of laughter, always willing and ready to come throughout the whole of the play. When people running in and getting into bed and getting out of bed and making sandwiches. And you're always ready for the next laugh. And it always comes without fail. And I just think mm. that in terms of timeless comedy, he has written in a, in a mechanical way that will kind of see it through, mm-hmm. I think. Okay, cool. So, uh, Bruce Norris, writing, I think, specifically for Clybourne Park. Uh, yeah, the question yeah. is what playwright tackled comedy, not which comedy playwright. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, um, uh, but Avon wasn't just a comedy playwright, of course. No, so no he still. Uh, and finally, Mills? I've gone for Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who wrote Fleabag. Mm. Uh, yes. And uh, Fleabag is a monologue. Uh, yep. when she performed sort of other characters as well. There's other characters in there. Uh, and this, the reason I chose this is because I think, again, she's dealing with a very difficult topic, uh, but does it well through comedy. The main character basically struggles with sex addiction. Uh, and it's sort of, that's not the only thing the play's about, but it's, it's sort of revealed that throughout the play that becomes a reason for a very tragic event. But, oh my God, I sat in foils and I was reading it and I was laughing out loud. And it is just excellent. You can imagine it when you're reading it you can imagine the way in which the women the woman de- uh, would deliver this piece it's so great in terms of the way it, how it lends itself to the actor being able to just take that f- fresh off the page um it's fearless and i think that's great as well um and it's like it, again it's ta- finding the things in life that you don't have to make funny that are already hilarious in just the way that they are mm. and i think that it, it, in a way it's got this sense of like a stand-up vibe when when someone does a good stand-up they just pull out the already things that are already funny without having to try hard about making them funny and i think that that's the way it's written to it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable either even though the topic is incredibly difficult it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable it makes you feel like it's normal Mm. that she described explicitly like all the porn she watches and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and because it's a woman it's great as well because it's letting a woman be ridiculously grotesquely sexual (laughs) and that it's funny because it's like this is just this is normal this is great this is a completely different character sure so um i think three very different arguments here in place who what who's who tackles the comedy the best if you were to read something and think oh this is so dramatic and this is so important and interesting and then when you as soon as you actually say some of the sentences out loud you realize that every single sentence the cadence cadence of it yeah. the uh the sort of the tempo in which it sounds best written where the commas are if you pay attention to all of that Every single line is functioning as a joke. Wow. And that's something you don't realize when you read it, but then when you say it out loud, you suddenly go, oh, this is brilliantly funny. And I think that's to the skill of the playwright, to the skill of the comedy, and I think it's absolutely hysterical. So why not, why not Clybourne Park then? Anyone? Well, uh, well actually, I'm going to talk why not Fleabag. This is a difficult one. No, no, no. We all love Fleabag. I love Fleabag. I honestly do. I think I read it and I laughed out loud. But I feel like there's a kind of narrowed scope for how funny it can be and how long that can last. I will read it now, but in 10 years' time, I'll read it again and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that bit where she talks about the mole. I just don't think it has that kind of long standing comedic value, which Eggborn does because he writes in a way that is timeless 
because no matter how old you are, if someone falls over or if someone gets to bed, get into bed with the wrong dude, it's funny. It is funny. As for Ollie, I think mm. yours kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Churchill vibe. Carol Churchill. Yeah. Oh, I hate that Winston. so much. <laughs> it's interesting because it's almost an argument against, for timeless against extremely of its time, I suppose. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's, that's the argument there between our two, certainly for and simple, and I do... I wish I could argue against Fleabag. I just, I enjoy it far too much. I've only seen it, I've only read it, of course. I've not seen it acted. What I'd say is, uh, for me, comedy is in dialogue and it's in back and forth. And, of course, Fleabag is a monologue. And I think there is such genius in a great back and forth dialogue. And Fleabag is, again, yes, fair enough. It's not a dialogue. I mean, she does have conversations with yes, other characters course. as herself. Um, I think that it's a conversation with herself, though, constantly. And mm. that's the, where the comedy lies. It's a monologue. It's a stream of consciousness in many ways. Like, she's describing things that she's feeling in different places. She's allow- the, the, the comedy of it is that she's allowing us into the parts of the brain that we don't normally share with people. <laughs> and we've probably all been there in one way or another or thought about the things that she might bring up in this piece uh, but not necessarily gone to the total extreme of this particular character the writing lends itself physically as well to the comedy of of the actor okay look um, we'll call time because I think I've heard enough and I read Fleabag and I was crying with laughter I thought how good it was but I didn't really get much of that from the argument I'll be honest with you. I'm, uh, this, this, I find this really hard between Bruce Norris and Alan Eckbourne. So I'm going to go to the person who I thought argued it the best. And I think one with the stronger takedown, the one that did knock me off Fleabag was Izzy. When you said about the timeless nature of Fleabag is going to date. It is. And I really understand where you're coming from. I don't think I got quite to the point of why specifically it's funny. I get it's awkward and it's that sort of humour mm. but nothing definitively laugh out loud funny whereas that's what Alan Akeborn is mm. and if we're talking about a pair to tackle comedy Izzy gets the point well done congratulations <laughs> Izzy um, it's two to one to zero well done that was really hard <laughs> I was like, well, it's Castaway I know. Yeah. We're every dancing. Week we've done this every week. <laughs> right, uh, Castaway, where we cast a character. Um, did you know we're doing a live special, 21st of March, by the way? You I did. really didn't. How about the fact that Margaret Thatcher, Queen of Soho, is joining us? Well, that's very exciting, right? Uh, now, for those of you who don't know the story, Margaret Thatcher, since leaving office, became the world's most famous cabaret star, uh, playing to packed houses up and down the country. And the actor behind Margaret, Matt Tedford, in my opinion, gives a better portrayal of the Iron Lady than a certain Ms. Streep in a certain Oscar-winning performance. Um, uh, Which got me thinking. Politicians are always fun to play, and certainly those with many performances to their name, but what fun to put these people into these ridiculous settings. And though he does appear briefly in Margaret Thatcher, Queen of Soho, we're going to give him his own show in honour of Margaret Thatcher, Queen of Soho, joining Theatre Feuds Live who should play the title character in a Winston Churchill cabaret show? We are starting with Izzy Dawes. <laughs> right, I've gone for Niche. <laughs> niche is good. Niche. Um, I'm going for Norman Lloyd. Many of you should know who he is because he's been working for like 101 years. <laughs> he is 101 years old. <laughs> yeah. Now, my thing with this is I've got a storyline which, which is integral to why I've picked Norman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do it. Winston Churchill didn't never died. We froze him. 
<laughs> like Yvonne of yeah. the Yukon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This is what <laughs> I imagine. I can't believe we got Yvonne of the Yukon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's back 10 years. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> really it's brilliant though, isn't it? But Yvonne at the same time. Right, absolutely. So the government have uh, unfrozen him in order, when times were bad, in order to get his advice. And he has now rebelled against the government and wants to put on his own cabaret show and take over, like, the UK government. I'm going to say government again. Um, and this, we, his cabaret show is about what he will do in order to make the UK a better place. He, Norman Lloyd is a brilliant actor. <laughs> he has worked with Alfred Hitchcock a lot. Mm. And so he, I know that he will bring that like gravitas and stoic nature that we really we need and we respect for Winston Churchill. Um, That's what we'll leave it. We'll, call, we'll, call, we'll move on to Millie. So we've got Norman Lloyd, 101-year-old, the oldest actor living in Hollywood. Yes. Uh, really? I discovered. I really yes. like the fact that you said he will when he, when he plays Winston. <laughs> <laughs> when he plays Winston. <laughs> Uh, I have chosen Dawn French. <laughs> I also chose I chose Dawn French probably because I always think it'd be great for a woman to play a man, yeah. as in the sense that it's cabaret, you know, mm-hmm. it's the kind of cross-dressing and all that jazz. Um, I think Dawn French is very versatile. I think she is not afraid to go for the grotesque. She is incredibly good at impersonating people. Everyone needs to watch the Mamma Mia parody. Oh my God, Is that chicken tikka tell me what's wrong? Yes. <laughs> she just has this great... She, what she can do with her face is absolutely wonderful. She's not afraid to not be pretty. She's been working comedy for a very long time, so she understands how to morph herself um, into different characters and I just think that she, she'd lo- she'd also be someone who just love a good crack at it like I mm. think that that would be a part of it like it, it's, it's the novelty of having the right actor as well and mm. I just think that she's got that fame behind her that you can that everyone would want to go and see her doing it Norman Lloyd Dawn French and Ollie uh, much like Millie, I've gone for, uh, in the spirit of cabaret and uh, cross-gender casting, I've gone for Olivia Coleman, star of Broadchurch, Michelin Webb, and most recently The Night Manager, in which she plays, she basically does play Churchill. It's phenomenal, her performance. Uh, the, in terms of what you're talking about, Norman Lloyd, the gravitas, the stoic strength of her character is fantastic. And then, funny enough, in the book, her character was a male. And they just changed... Yeah. Yeah, they changed her gender to female, made no other changes. Go back five, ten years? She was the star of sketch comedy and Mm. of live sketch comedy in, Mm. say, well, maybe not cabaret, but certainly within that style and tone. Uh, And she came from that world and sort of grew into uh, the drama actress, you know, and as both now. And I think playing both at the same time would be well within her wheelhouse. Having her portray Churchill in that manner would be absolutely hysterical and within the cabaret tone. Okay, fab. Uh, Norman Lloyd, Libby Coleman, Dawn French. Why not then? Norman Lloyd, someone. I'd like, to, I'd like I'm to give him the work. I love Norman Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> Defend yourself. Oh, yeah. me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think the thing, the crux that we're missing here is for the first 10, 15 minutes, we're trying to con the audience into thinking this actually could be Winston Churchill. He is up for a laugh. He has good, good crack. And he will wear women's <laughs> clothes, um, which I think is, is key for this. He can bring those moments of um, sincerity and reality 
I mean, I'm pretty sure he was alive when Hitler was around still. So if that doesn't bring the gravity and weight to it, Mao's yes, probably yeah. yeah, yeah, of course he was. Yeah. Um, so if that doesn't bring, I'm the gonna gravity say gravity. To it, I'm gonna say the other two don't. No, do I'm gonna then, say gravity is not what you want in a cabaret it. act. Very I think that point. it's very you don't want to go for the sincere, like the the obvious. It kind of like oh, we've got to have to add some integrity is to that this. Not obvious rip, in a cabaret got, act. Yeah, integrity. Integrity is not what you need, right? You need a bit of both. You don't need any integrity. You got to have. This is great. You need to have uh, someone who is just pure silly, in my personal opinion. And Dawn French is uh, really intelligent, can tap into the intelligence. You know, she'll be able to help write that script. You know, she, she's someone who can like is very efficient all round as well. So that's another part of my argument as well. Okay, that's a really interesting Sorry. point. Um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I, I want to strike a balance between both of your answers. I want to find a comedian who does gravitas. And I think both of us, because the thing about Maggie Thatcher, Queen of So is fans of Maggie Thatcher, the woman, love the takedown and parody because it's loving. And I think Dawn French would do something loving, but it wouldn't necessarily be, I think you brought this up, sort of, we like to portray Churchill as Churchill. Mm. We can have great jokes and great humour, but we want to see him be Churchill because he is a loved and revered figure. So as I say, I want to see a bit of both of your answers in Olivia Coleman. <laughs> okay. Okay, great. Uh, anything to add against Libya Coleman, actually, because we've not had anything really against that. Oh, no, I think she'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy no, the point, no. Ollie. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had to call it on that. You just swung it right at the end there, didn't you? Did I? Yeah. Oh, cool. Bit of both. Mm. Yeah. Uh, doesn't happen often, but we're wrapping up very early on that one. Olivia Coleman would be the best person to play... Uh, Winston Churchill well, in a cabaret show. all three singing and dancing together. So, looking at the points, Millie is automatically through to the speed round. Congratulations, Millie. You're already there. So it's now between Izzy and Ollie in the next round. The miscellaneous round. Uh, finally, I was thrilled when Lee Griffiths decided to join Theatre Feuds Live. His sketch comedy troupe, Late Night Gimp Fight, is, in my humble opinion, one of the best I've ever seen, and I can't wait to see what he brings to the table on Monday. But there are others, right? So, for our last question, we'll keep it brief. In honour of Late Night Gimp Fight joining Theatre Feuds Live, which is the best sketch comedy troupe? We're starting with Millie Raleigh. Monty Python. Hey. <laughs> um, I think that Monty Python just have, again, they have this timeless quality about them. They go for the absolute absurd and they are unapologetic about how absurd they are, but they do it in a way that is just... The way to describe it is that they love to cross-dress, they love to take on different characters, they don't try to make you think, believe that they are those people. It's a very farcical in that way and it's picking up on the sort of very bizarre, obscure things that happen in everyday life. I think that they when they take on a story they they take something like the holy grail and they just make it something why why do so many people know about them even if they don't necessarily think it's to their taste like there is something about them that is objectively just brilliant all of them are very versatile actors they work incredibly well together as a group 
there was a really nice dynamic between them. I think that that is an important part of a comedy troupe. Okay, fab. Uh, Monty Python. And they have done stage shows, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's This is sorry. the Theatre Feuds. They have done stage shows. Yeah, Just want to clarify that. Uh, Ollie, who have you got to combat? Monty Python. But these guys are the same three guys, and they are the Ginge, the Geordie, and the Geek. But Ginge, Geordie, and Geek, they are true live comedy performers and for an audience. There's a wonderful moment in... Uh, in the show I saw, there was an autistic child in the front row who was speaking quite loudly, making a lot of comments during the show. And so many comedians, live comedians in sketch comedy or in any sort of stand-up would kind of make the kid the butt of the joke or kind of ask if the kid would leave. These guys incorporated him into every single sketch, freewheeling. And these are not improvised sketches. They're written sketches that they are able to incorporate jokes with the kid. And I think that's such a skill in being able to make a joke not on somebody but with somebody and the kid became the star of the show and that of course wouldn't happen every night it's just something that they were able to do in their skill as live comedy sketch performers but just a testament to their skill and writing ability I love it Fab uh, Monty Python The Gins The Geordie and The Geek and Izzy we are finishing off with you and <coughs> who? I have picked um, Pajama Men they are semi um, improvising the whole show and for me, I think that is such a skill, not only to just keep like, action going and to be entertaining, but to make it funny is a real testament to how well that they do. Each section is about maybe 30 seconds to a minute long, and they seamlessly go from characters, voices, we're talking voices, places, um, mannerisms, physicalities, they snap and change from like women, children, Oh, there's one point where they're, they're horses, they're hats. They are absolutely everything. <laughs> they can be everything. And the brilliant thing I think about this comedy uh, duo is that they can lose you for a second. You can think, I'm, I'm completely lost. I don't know where I am. They're talking about a shoe and a horse. And like, it's like, oh, like the shoe tries to kiss the horse and the horse is trying to get away. And you're a bit lost for a second, but it's still funny. And they bring you back. Within 30 seconds, there's somewhere else that they've taken you and you're there again. Oh, there's just two two men in pajamas, mm -hmm, as you would have guessed, and <laughs> two chairs, and that's it. Well, they have like sometimes they have dudes in the background playing instruments, but that's all it is. Um, <laughs> so we've got Monty Python, Gins, Geordie, and the Geek, and Pajama Men. Um, let's start. Why not Monty Python then? You put us in the uncomfortable position of arguing against Monty Python. I know, but there is an argument against Monty Python. Their sketch comedy. There are lots and lots and lots of misses. They were breaking new ground, they were changing the mold, they were creating something entirely new. And so, because of the you know, breadth of sketches, there were so many and they're also bristling of imagination, they didn't all work. Obviously we're talking about their, their theatre as well. I mean, I know that it's a bit cheeky because they obviously do have different mediums, but the mm. fact that they can translate their comedy through various mediums, including radio, I think is a testament to their ability anyway. Um, I think that the fact that they are just being stupid is great. I think it's going back to what you said back then about Ellen Eakmore, about things that will always be funny just because they are what they are. And I think that's what they play to in many ways. They're also incredibly intelligent. I don't think that all sketch comedy has to be about how clever can you make that joke. I think it's about how you can surprise the audience and they are always surprising the audience with the just absurdity and I think that that's what makes them so good at what they do. If they start a sketch and you're lost then you're probably going to be lost for all of it or you're not going to find it funny like with the fishy thing. I think that with with troops like Men in Pyjamas they 
have like this this um absolute through line of imagination where it can go anywhere they're they're there to feed off the audience they can be anyone and do anything and it's not regimented in absolutely any way whatsoever they're completely free on stage and i think that that's engaging in a way that maybe monty python is monty python's a point and laugh that's funny men in pajamas is oh my god who are you going to be next i know that woman that, that woman sat next to me on the bus and i know that child and yes it did try to suck my elbow like it has the you can you can be there whereas with monty python they're brilliant but they're they're Oh, I know that skit. Anything against pajamas? Isn't there, isn't there, isn't there something to be said for being able to quote back stuff? That the stuff problem did? is with Monty Python, they have two live shows: live at the Hollywood Bowl and live at the O2 Arena. If we're going on pure quality of live performances and not counting TV or film, the O2 Arena show was—you would only love it if you loved every sketch you'd seen before on screen. The joy in that was seeing these old friends reunited. The joy wasn't the sketches. As I say, the thing that I loved that made them endeared to me in terms of great performance of sketch comedy, again, was the incorporation of something so many other performers would call a hindrance or a nuisance. And they I made it. I get that, Ollie, but that yeah, was one show, babe. Oh, no, of course. I'm talking more about, like, the style of a comedy troupe. I get that mm. they're obviously very intelligent and can think on their feet and can deal with an audience member like that. And what a brilliant thing to have witnessed. Oh, no, of course. But it's one show. Mm. I feel like the Pajama Men semi-improvise all of it. Ne two, no two shows are going to be the same. Maybe next time I see them, I'll shout out and see how they deal with it. And then maybe we can revoke this. Anything else to add? It's a, a, a very fair point. Okie doke. Let's call time. Because there were two massive knockdowns. Ollie, you, you took out Monty Python with no mercy Mom, there. Stop saying you I took, took them out. out. You ruined, like... No, no, that no. was legit. It, it was the legit. one thing I was waiting to hear about oh, Monty Python. Oh. Their live shows were not as well received as everyone would have liked. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Sorry, Izzy, you did it. You were like, Ollie, babe, I'm sorry. That was one show. You took him out. Yeah. I'm sorry. You... you you took uh, him your out. Your face like went What's stone. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you've got into a zone now. You're murdering me. And no one really had anything bad to say about Pajama. You argued it so well at the start in that in that um, uh, little spiel you did. Izzy takes the point, goes to 2-2. Two, two. Ollie, thank you so much. I know it was, it was a pleasure. A, it was, thank it you so, very much. It was been great. Please stick around because you're going to be helping oh, me yes. with the speed round. Actually, I enjoyed that. So my condolences to Ollie. A very tough fight. Uh, so... Millie and Izzy, you progress through to the speed round. Uh, it's really very simple. Your points carry over, so the score is currently 2-2. We're tied. Um, you're going to get five more questions. Some open choice, some multiple choice. Answer as quickly as possible. In the event you both choose the same answer, it will be up to Ollie and I to decide who we heard first. Uh, you then get uh, 15 seconds to answer, plus a five-second retort to your opponent. Keep it snappy. Keep it brief. Ollie, you're going to help me judge. At the end of the five questions, or if one of you goes far enough ahead, then we'll call time and crown our ultimate theatre feuds champion. All ready for the speed round? Mm -hmm. We'll let the speed round begin. Speed round. Okay, so first question in the speed round. Oh, this music is so tense. This is one we've had before. <laughs> Best pub theatre. Rose Tavern. Uh, oh, the Rosemary Branch. So, arguing for the Rose Tavern, 15 seconds, Izzy Dawes, go. It's a brilliant space, the toilet is really nearby. There's a 
there is a bar at the back and they let me go and get a drink during the show and a Cheshire starred in a, a original writing and she absolutely smashed it everyone loved her it's a, just a brilliant space great wow. acoustics okay <laughs> great acoustics <laughs> <laughs> I love the acoustics arguing for Rosemary Branch Millie Rollo it's in a really cool, trendy area near Islington, and uh, and it is a um, really good space, and it's got a nice, like, good seating, and it's upstairs, you've got the pub downstairs. It's also constantly giving people opportunity to do Edinburgh previews. Okay, 15 seconds. And five-second retort to Rosemary Branch. Um, the seating is probably better because it is only slightly slanted, and there's only five... Okay. Five, 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 five seconds left. Five-second five retort. They constantly have a wealth of uh, programming that means that more and more people can do work there. Okay. Ollie, what do we think? Uh, of the two, uh, it's well, it took you both like a round to start talking about what kind of theatre they do. <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> like oh, I like the room itself. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, that was, yeah. I mean, granted, I love any argument that features you can go and get a drink. Yeah, so, I mean, so that was great. an entertaining one. Um, but... It was the stuff about the Edinburgh previews. Yeah. I'm like, actually, yeah. no, that's a, such a yeah. useful yeah. thing. Actual yeah. useful things to do. Yeah, the actual useful. <laughs> but, but the acoustics is really good. Thank you. Uh, acoustics is a wonderful. I think we both agreed Rosemary Branch took that one there. Yeah. We've done this question twice. Not once has someone said Theatre 503. <laughs> Is it a pub theatre? Yes, it is. It's above the Lachmere. Oh. It's so important. Sorry, right. I'm doing the show. Okay. So it's 3-2 to Millie Rollo. This next one is also a multiple choice. What's better for creating atmosphere on stage? Lighting or sound? Lighting! Oh, I wanted sound anyway. Oh, fab. So, <laughs> arguing lighting. 15 seconds, Millie Rollo. Lights can uh, transform the space immediately. It can make it change the depth of it. It can highlight things. Um, and the colours also gives a sense of where we might be. I mean, like green, we're in a field, blue, we're near the water. It's fine. Like, it immediately it takes us straight to somewhere. Okay, fabulous. And arguing for sound is doors. People say that sound can limit the audience, but I think it's the perfect way to put an audience in one place and keep them there. It can be suffocating, it can be suggestive in ways that sa- that lighting cannot. It's too much up for interpretation. Sound puts you in a place and time. Okay, fair. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. And a five second retort to that, Millie. Imagine a theatre with strip lighting, uh, boring. You got the immediate stage <laughs> atmosphere. Okay, five, five, five seconds against lighting. Um, lighting can have strobe lighting, and people, and they don't always tell you, and people in the audience can be <laughs> epileptic. <laughs> Sound yeah. will never kill a yeah, person. What a great <laughs> audience. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy Dawes takes the point. It goes to 3 3. <laughs> That was what a robot apocalypse moment there. Izzy, you're cracking them out in this one. Yeah, not okay, question three in the speed round. Best stage actor called Michael. Michael Gambon. Michael Ball. Okay, fab. Other than the two I thought you were going to go for. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, so arguing for Michael Gambon, Millie Rollo. He has a great integrity as an actor, great gravitas, a very amazing voice. I think that the voice is really important in an actor. He can draw you in. He doesn't need loads of um, gimmicks in order to give a great performance. And he is just Dumbledore. Dumbledore. (laughs) I so wanted you to mention Dumbledore. And 15 seconds for Michael Ball. 
Izzy Dawes. Michael Ball is the genius, the only person that can use gimmicks in a way that makes his performance his own and still likeable. He did Hairspray and he was the mum and he did every single gimmick under the sun, but it was only Michael Ball and he did it perfectly. He's just a talented all-rounder. Okay, five seconds against Michael Ball. Millie? Michael Ball's a bit too shiny. Um, my, <laughs> Michael Gambon's got like a different... Uh, her face is much more interesting to look at okay. and expressive. And Michael Ball? <laughs> expressive Dumbledore. <laughs> oh, Michael Ball is uh, a singer and an actor, and he hasn't been Dumbledore, and yet everyone still knows who he is. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's a nice line. Okay, what do you uh, think? My heart's with Gambon. With that one, I think it was better <sighs> argued, because... I think at the start... Because the problem is... I'm like, not sure Dumbledore's a good argument, though. Well, it wasn't. It was a last yeah. resort. It wasn't my <laughs> argument. Did you not hear the rest of it? Dumbledore wasn't the argument there. Well, I think there is that conversation between gimmicks and non-gimmicks. Mm. But I think an actor who can work through a gimmick is an impressive thing. An actor who's never needed one is more impressive to me. And I think that was the argument many made. Andy I'm going to go the other way. I'm sorry. God, I'm going to overrule it. I'm gonna, sorry. I, I, thought think it, may, I think you're making a terrible mistake. And one day, Michael Gambon and I will beat you up. <laughs> I, I, Michael Ball. I was better argued. Yeah. I, did, I did. I think it was the, the, talking about the gimmicks. And also, there was a nice last line there. He doesn't have you to be Dumbledore. Like, you love mic drops. You I'm think, I think that's so important in the speed round. Dumbledore was, wasn't my argument. It was close. <laughs> Dumbledore did ruin it for me a bit slightly, I'm afraid. Izzy Dawes is on four. Millie Rolle is on three. Question four in the speed round. In the style of One Man Star Wars, which film should go One Man? One Man Matrix. Lovely. One Man Toy Story. One Man Matrix, Izzy Dawes, off you go. Um, Just imagine having all of those agents. There are so many people, but it's just one person. You have Trinity, a white woman. You have the man, Morpheus, who's a black man. Imagine all of the things, the diversity that could come from the Matrix. Things about... Gizmets and gadgets. Sure, gizmets. lovely. <laughs> it's a gizmet. Millie Rolly arguing for Toy Story, one man. 15 seconds off you go. Concept's already brilliant. You have to constantly... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, a dinosaur, you've got all these characters you could possibly play, the concept of the fact that you have to pretend that you're not alive and then you're dead, and they go on journeys all the time, the imaginativeness. <laughs> Five seconds against Toy Story, Izzy Dawes. Um, you've got a real earthy thing, that, a really earthy storyline that can get the audience... Okay, 50, five seconds of story. You have to use different accents, you have to be different types of toys, you have to morph yourself physically, you have to. Yeah. That won it for me. Uh, Millie? Morph yourself physically. Oh, right, I was going to say. I was talking about being a, a man and a, a. Mate, dinosaurs and Bo Peep. Bo Peep? I think. I think physically interesting character. I mean, I think I, I was pretty much sold me like, oh, the concept is brilliant anyway. Yeah, yeah, that was the only line you needed. <laughs> yeah. 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 But also, I but love how no, you, the Like, I really like. I was like, it was storyline. wasn't what I expected. <laughs> Concepts already It's <laughs> uh, So. That was great. Okay. <laughs> so it's 4 4. It is oh, all tied so up. The last question. Best play you saw in London in the last year? Clarence Darrow. Yes. Oh, the only one that I can think of at the moment is when Fake Till You Make It when it was at the Soho Theatre. Fake Till You Make It? Mm-hmm. Soho Theatre. So, uh, Clarence Darrow against Fake It Till You Make It. Winner of this is our Ultimate Theatre Feuds champion. Okay. 15 seconds, Izzy Dawes, Clarence Darrow, off you go. It's a one-man show about um, a lawyer, and it's just um, fantastic. Uh, it, it takes us through his most uh, intense trials, and he was just amazing. I can't even remember what his name is. Okay, yes. and oh, 15 sorry. seconds for Fake It Till You Make It. 
Millie Rolly. Dealing with a really important issue of clinical depression and a men manliness. A guy on stage who isn't even an actor, which exposes you to his vulnerability. A really brilliant device, a performance theatre, lots of visuals, but also a really good script. Okay. Well, three seconds five, five seconds retort to that. Absolutely no visuals, just one man in the middle of, uh, in the round, uh, for an hour and a half. And five seconds against that. Again, keeping it real, the two people on stage are a couple in real life. I think that that had a great connection with the audience and okay. it made a really visceral okay. experience. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Going over time then, mate. What do we think? Uh, I'm annoyed. I'm really annoyed. Because I quite liked Millie's answer. And the argument was well made for it being a fantastic piece of theatre. I think I've got an idea. So it's difficult. I'm not sure. You're not sure? I think I've got an idea. I've got an answer. I've got my idea. Well, you'll find out. Oh, damn it. He wants you to win. He doesn't like me. The winner, our ultimate Theatre Feuds champion, is. Millie Rowley! Well done, Millie! Come full circle. You've done it. Congratulations. Oh, well done, Millie. A great, I love a great fight. Yeah. Love that. Um, yeah, that was well done, well played. I well really played, everyone. That last thing. Congratulations. Millie's our yeah. champion. Uh, any words for your competition, quickly? I think that we're all very good at pretending we know stuff. Take <laughs> 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 ah, that away. <laughs> That could really be the tagline of the show. I think Absolutely. so. Um, Izzy Dawes, a great second place there. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, any yeah, words yeah. for your champion? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, you're well done. You did well. <laughs> I lost my words and you found more and more. So <laughs> congratulations. Ollie to thank you very much for judging me, uh, helping me yeah, judge there on always. that. Uh, final thoughts on today's show? Uh, well, it's always fun to do the judging thing with the timing at the end because you get to take revenge against the people who beat you. This is true. <laughs> this is true. It's yeah. a great, it's a really fun job. Um, so the feud has been fought and Millie Rollet is our champion. Thank you very much to today's fighters, Izzy Dawes, Ollie Partington and our champion, Millie Rollet. You can find them all on social media. I think Izzy yeah. is on Twitter. But I, I don't, am somewhere. We don't know where she is. We think she's Izzy Dawes something, something one, two, something. I'm pretty sure Jess Boys follows me. Yeah, so, uh, so you know, Follow for those of you who don't know who Jess Boys is. <laughs> yeah. So Izzy is somewhere on Twitter, we're not entirely sure. Where? Anything to plug, quickly? Um, at your live show. Yes, yes, plug the live show. <laughs> no, plug the live show. Thank you very much. Um, Millie uh, Rolle, our champion, is at Millie Rolle on Twitter. Anything to yes, plug? Yes, there is not at Rolle Bear, which is an alias. And yep. it still yeah. exists because account. Martha lost the oh, password. Okay. Um, anything to plug? Uh, just, uh, <laughs> me in 30 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say briefs or something that like you're actually doing. I'm yeah, briefs. Yeah, I'm briefs. I have something to plug. Yeah, jump on, yeah. Um, on... Bank hol- so the, this the Monday Thursday the day before Bank Holiday Friday there's a band called Ghouls playing in Camden at the Monarch they're really sick. Cool, we'll all go see it. Yeah, Theatre Feuds. Theatre Feuds holiday. Um, Ollie is of course at Ollie Parters. His plug is that he'll be joining me as co-host on Theatre Feuds Live <laughs> um, so on the 21st of own. March at Theatre 503. <laughs> Anything real to plug? Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the last couple of times I've been on here, I've talked about the sitcom yeah, podcast yeah. that I'm right, and that's still happening. I have to take a quick break for some personal reasons, but uh, work will resume on that very soon. But in the meantime, I've written up a bank of reviews that I'll be posting onto my site, The Ginger Review, over the next period. We're going to do a whole big reboot of that, get a website domain, do it properly mm-hmm. from the beginning again almost. And so, yeah, please tune into that very soon. You'll see an announcement on my Twitter. 
Fantastic. Um, finally, really before we go, it. one final plug. 21st of March, Theatre 503, yeah, Theatre Fields Live. Come on. Incredible special guests. Awesome questions posed by you, the audience. Lots of twists and tricks and loads of things we have hidden up our sleeves. If you want to get tickets, please visit www.theatre503.com slash what's on. Remember, all proceeds are going to the Cumbria flood victims. Please do come and bring as many people as you would like if we sell out. That's over half a grand already going to the Community Foundation, and wouldn't that be so lovely? Uh, keep up to date with all the goings-on everywhere on our social media, Twitter, at Relish Theatre, Facebook for both Relish Theatre, and make sure you like our new Theatre Feuds page as well. Everything about the show gets posted there first. We're also on iTunes and SoundCloud. Why not download some old episodes now you've listened to this one and enjoy them on the commute, or whilst you're doing the washing up. And of course, www.relishtheatre.co.uk and email us at theatre.relish at gmail.com. I've been Rob Ellis. You can find me at Rob David Ellis on Twitter. Next week, we're taking a break from the podcast to concentrate on the big one. So if you need your theatre feuds fix, well, you know where to go. Everyone, last time. March 21st, 21st, 21st. Rise from the depths of hell. Please try and make it to that. Thank you ever so much for listening. Thank you so much to our guest. Thank you very much indeed. And you're going to say, whoa.